across the city and South Cambridgeshire. On FM, digital and your mobile. Cambridge 105 Radio. I'm going to read you the menu. It's fantastic. So we get better flavour because of the fen soil. I've drunk more beer since I came here and bought my two barrels than I've ever done in my life before, I think. I shouldn't have said almonds. They don't make it from almonds. <laughs> so you've got this big sticky mess when you start off. Pizza pot pints. My wife's cakes are selling up hot cakes. Brilliant, thank you. The time is right for this sort of thing. Food is everything. Cambridge is right for this sort of thing. What's it like? <laughs> Good afternoon and welcome to Flavour, the food and drink programme for Cambridge and the surrounding area. I am Matt Bentman and here's Alan Alder and Sue Bailey with today's lineup. Well, Sue and I have each visited a bakery this week. I went to Stir in Cambridge to find how it is the head baker Shandor Bagameri wins so many national awards for his bread. And I met with Jennifer Marshall of Sardo Hub, which supplies several cafes in Cambridge with goods like focaccia and donuts, and heard her extraordinary story of how she moved from being a concert pianist to being a highly regarded baker. I also popped into a local cafe and had a really unusual latte. I enjoyed it hugely. I asked the owner about it. It's a sort of thing you can do if you contribute to a radio programme. <laughs> and I went to a Cambridge market to find out what it's like to be a storeholder as a new manager takes the reins at one of the regular stalls. We've some ideas for recipes involving onions from Rosie Sykes, whose new book is just published. We also have our regular features, a roundup of local food and drink news, free food in and around Cambridge, and, at the end, a rundown of local jobs in food and drink. First, I spoke to Jennifer Marshall about how she changed her life from being an international concert pianist living in Malta to setting up the highly regarded Sardo Hub, based in Newmarket. It's a remarkable story. I moved with my family to Newmarket in September 2022. And we moved because uh, we were living in Malta for quite some years, actually. However, we always said that if our children are have any musical talent, we would have to make the move back to the UK. I used to live in London for almost 20 years. I used to study at the Royal Academy of Music. And then I was a concert pianist, toured the world, met with my husband, who's a conductor, pianist and organist. And we wanted to come to an English-speaking country and to a country whereby it offers very variety of educational qualities, let's say. I was always a foodie anyway. I, you know, being Mediterranean, having lived in quite a few countries. We lived in Germany, we lived in Montreal. And I was always interested in bread. That's something that even though Maltese bread is a very well-known and specific type of bread, I think that it has lost its real meaning because there's a lot of chemicals added to it nowadays. It's fluffy, it's light, but there's something that's not right. It should have been a sourdough bread in the olden days, but now it's not anymore. And so after coming back from Germany, children going back to school, I was always very interested in grains more than anything. So I started studying on my own, self-taught, looking at grains, understanding how grains, their longevity, you know, where they come from and so on. By this point, my concerts had kind of winded down a bit because my husband was traveled so much. So one of us had to take a step back. It's impossible to have two parents who are constantly traveling. That's where my 
love of making bread started. It took me a very long time to understand the concept of making nice bread. I had a lot of disasters along the way, many, many, many disasters, but I persisted. In Malta, parents have to prepare their children's lunches for schools. And I didn't like the fact that I was preparing a sandwich that is full of chemicals. And that is why I started researching how to make proper bread, real bread. There's the real bread campaign this week. One thing led to another. Someone asked me to make vegan donuts just before COVID. I made them. I was not a social media person. She put them, She had a massive following on the island. She was. She's British, actually. And suddenly I started getting lots of people asking me to make vegan donuts. And then I started making sourdough gluten-free bread because there is absolutely not one person in Malta who does gluten-free bread. So I started researching. I can't exactly call it gluten-free because I had wheat in my kitchen. But I started teaching people online how to make gluten-free sourdough bread. That was using a huge variety of gluten-free flours. And that I really enjoyed. It. But still, we were not intolerant to gluten, so we, I also loved making gluten wheat bread. The next step for me was actually going into making sourdough breads, which after making gluten-free sourdough breads becomes very easy to make. Your because you don't have the worry. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. With gluten-free, you're all the time worrying because gluten-free flours ferments faster. And then I started making sourdough breads and there was not one person on the island making it. People know about it, of course, but because you don't have it, you don't ask for it. But when word got around and I started becoming really really popular on the island (laughs) for, for, for making bread, it was really funny. So anyway, um, I set up my micro bakery and then from that other things started happening, um, scones and uh, sausage rolls and other things. So I started making basically pastry with sourdough. So by using the leftover sourdough, you make your pastry, you make uh, whatever, everything. It's because you have already the mix of flour and water already there. You know, you might as well just not waste, right? Now I have less waste because now I know exactly how much I, if I need to make 10 breads, I know exactly how much sourdough I need. But before, it was a lot of experimentation going on. So I, for example, was making gluten-free pastry with the sourdough. So by mixing your leftover sourdough gluten-free and adding your rice flour or oat flour and make, making the mix, you make your gluten-free pastry. That, that's my journey, basically. So then we move. Unfortunately, it was a very hard decision to take because we have two children, Martina and James, and um, James is now a chorister at St. John's College Choir. And Martina is at King's. She's a chorister at Pembroke College as well, as they both play a number of instruments. So in terms of education for them, we made the right move. For me, the hardest part was to close my business in Malta. It was excruciatingly hard because it was a business that was, there was a lot of growth in it. And to be honest with you, there was not much competition. Actually, there was none. And it was at the point when we came to the UK, when I actually started looking for a commercial premises to grow the business. I get Every day, a request from a hotel, from a restaurant, from a private person, from a client asking me when I'm coming back or asking me to to deliver breads to them. And I have to sort of... Uh, This is in Malta. This is in Malta. (laughs) Every day I get a request. Every single day I have to turn down a request. And that's what's difficult. It's because... I left it at, at a very difficult time because it was growing. But I know we did this big move for the children. So when I came to, to the UK, we arrived on the 3rd of September. On the 7th of September, he left um, because he had to go to Lyon Opera to conduct the opera there for three months. It's very difficult to set up a new life 
especially when you've had such a full-on life and you left it. However, I'm the kind of person who is always uh, very focused and, and I don't give up. I really don't give up despite the difficulties. Uh, it's, it's, it's been a very, very hard time. So we happen to live at the moment in Newmarket and I was thinking of the, the next coffee shop that is in the next street down from the house. So I cold called Victoria's, Victoria, Victoria from Newmarket. Cold called her. She gave me the first window of hope. She said, let's meet. She said, what do you do? I said, well, I can do breads, I can do donuts, I can do, uh, you know, I sort of started listening. And she said, hmm. She said, you know, she said, I already have a supplier who does breads and I feel that I like loyalty. Good for her. I think that's very important. She said, but I have nobody doing donuts. She said, would you bring me some to try? So I did. And the following week, she ordered 20, and they were sold out within an hour. That's how my relationship started with her, and it's been going on since March 2023. And in fact, she just opened her second coffee shop in Sawston, and she's ordering now not twice, but almost three times the the normal amount, you know. So it's about building relationships. And, And I keep on telling myself, I am a bit of a refugee here, right? Because I just came sort of cold. And the only way to do it for me is to prove my points, what I can do, to be trustworthy and to use top ingredients as well as I can. I try not to buy an ingredient. I try to make everything myself. All my fillings I make, I try to, I try to use organic flowers if possible and so on. But to give the best that I can because I want people to trust me. And that's the only way I can build bridges. Because I don't have a history here. In Malta, I build that history. And that's why perhaps people still contact me. Whereas here, I have to start cold. But again, you're you're building a history here because I gather you're supplying people in Cambridge. Which places are you supplying at um, the moment? So at the moment, we're doing filled focaccias, caprese focaccias for the new coffee shop called um, London Great Coffee. So they just opened one in Regent Street. I do the focaccias and I fill them with mozzarella, pesto, tomatoes, and we're doing sort of now double the caprese. The caprese seem to be doing really well. I work with the coffee shop on West Road called Harvey's at Gonville and Keys. And that is so popular. It's incredible. So they order donuts every day. And Meadows, Cambridge, she orders um, sourdough breads every week. So apparently those are really popular. And then I supply other places like at Tattersalls when there's auctions. They're very popular, these auctions, horse auctions. I'm learning a lot by living in Newmarket as well. I've been called two weeks ago, I think, by uh, the catering manager from Sixth Form. I, I'm hoping that it's going to work out because um, they love they loved the items I took for them. So it might be cinnamon rolls, um, donuts, and they're interested in the cookies. Um, the, the interesting thing about, about this Sixth Form is that I was so impressed is that when I had the meeting, they told me that they listened to their um, students. And the students told the catering department, we want to stop having our items brought in from all over the UK. We want local. We want to improve the footprint. We want to have a lower emission. We want to have better quality. It's very, very important for them. And they're listening to them and they're they're giving them a, a, a say only because I work with um, Coffee World. I don't know if you know Coffee World yes. from Milton. Yes, I do. Yes, mm. so I work with mm. them as well. I think they had just been to their coffee house and um, they have a new shop now in Milton. They've just opened their own coffee mm-hmm. shop. And, uh, I think he told them about me, which was very nice. And uh, they contacted me. And you seem to be 
able to do a, a very wide variety of, of different things. I mean, what would you say is your favourite to make? And then what is the range of some of the other things that you can do? As I said in the beginning, I'm, I've been so interested in food. I think it's because of our bringing. Everything evolves around the table. We don't leave the dinner table for hours if necessary. Mm. Arguments happen over dinner table. You know, friends, it's always about dinner. So for me, food is, is something as part of me. And it has to be interesting, has to be colourful. I love making bread, of course, charcoal bread. I love making seasonal bread. So, if, for example, beetroot is in season. Then I would add beetroot, feta cheese and pepper. Black pepper, correct, black, black pepper. Um, if garlic is in season, then I would, for example, do a garlic pesto and add that to the bread. I love making these kind of interesting breads as long as they become part of the rest of dinner so they don't take over mm. the palat, mm. how to mm. say, you know. But I love making other bakes. I love making babkas, for example. Um, so, for example, yesterday I did date, orange zest and almond babkas. And the smell, mm. <laughs> once they bake, I then do sort of um, a syrup with orange, um, rose water and so on. It's beautiful. So it has that Arabic because this is where my, my background is. Right? Malta is a mixture of cultures. So for me, it is also about representing where I'm coming from. So I love making this kind of style babkas where where, where it's, you have an explosion of taste. What is a babka? It's Polish, Ukrainian. You have the dough and you open the dough and you put a paste, whatever you want. You can put chocolate, you can put uh, so, ma- so many things, almonds, you can put orange paste. Then you normally splice it, cut it, <laughs> I yes. don't even know how mm-hmm. to say it, and make it into a braid. And then you put it either in a tin loaf or you make a small babkas and they look beautiful. They look absolutely gorgeous. Um, sort of something like a cinnamon roll, but... More exotic and more interesting. <laughs> you, you can, yes, you can, you can make it. But so, so does cinnamon roll can be also mm-hmm. sort of... You can also play around with the flavours, I think. And I love also in Malta what was, used to be really popular. I used to make meat pies, a lot of meat pies. They used to be really popular. Only because I believe that using good quality meat, you know, you mm. either are going to give your client the best you can or don't do it. So I do my own pastry. I buy the best butter if I can. Mm. So you give a really good quality meat pie, you know, mm-hmm. full of meat and so on. And th- then, of course, I love making s- making s- other sweet cakes, brownies. If, if I'm using chocolate, I want to use the best quality chocolate because... Mm. You can't get a good brownie unless the chocolate is amazingly good. Yes, we met, in fact, at the Cambridge Chocolate Fest. So, yes, indeed, I can see that you were very much supporting good chocolate and from sustainable environment. And so commercially, what would you say are your best sellers then? Definitely donuts. <laughs> People loved the donuts. However, I've been doing quite a bit of markets and actually I learned quite a lot from people. It's also for me to do with what the eye, what captures their their interests, yes. right? What looks beautiful on, mm. on, on the table. The babkas are very, very well liked and cinnamon rolls. So people here love cinnamon rolls and they love the babkas and they're willing to try. And also when I make stuff with almond and ricotta and lemon, for example, almond, ricotta and lemon, things that are perhaps a little bit different, that you're not necessarily going to find it in every other shop, let's mm. say, you know, just giving sort of something. So I notice, for example, that people love brownies. And I always say the chocolate is amazing. It's 95% chocolate, you know, so and it's made with sourdough as well. So I use the leftover sourdough to create a brownie. I don't just make a chocolate and sugar brownie. What are the markets that you go to? 
So the three main markets I go to at the moment is Nordstow. They I do the last Sunday of every month. And that's a big one because they have a lot of sellers and uh, it's a well-known market. Then I do Burwell Farmers Market, which I really enjoy, second Saturday of every month. It's a sweet little market and they have their followers. They have people who go there regularly. And then the other one I really love is Chivli Farmers Market. I love Chivli Farmers Market because it's in a lovely, gorgeous little village. And it only happens four times a year. And it's so popular and it's in the... I think it's in the church hall, but it's such a well-organized market. So these three markets, and then, of course, this is where I met my my friend Caroline. She organized the most amazing market, the pop-up autumn market. It was amazing. Oh, the one in, in Grantchester, yes, indeed, it yes. so nice, and I keep on telling her, please do it again, please do it again. <laughs> it was so lovely. We really, really enjoyed it. it. The turnout was incredible. I sold out it, even though I thought I'm not going to sell out. I have too many products. It sounds like you are just on better and better for better and better things and are not very much upward trajectory. So I will, I think, be following you up in another interview in a year or so's time and see where you've got to by then. Because in terms of speedy development, you're a brilliant example. So thank you so much. Thank Thank you. Thank you very much. And if you'd like to try some of Jennifer's baked goods, you can try them at Victor Victoria Coffee in Sawston and Newmarket. Her focaccia is at London Grade Coffee in Regent Street. Her donuts are at Harvey's off West Road. And her sourdough is delivered once a week to Meadows in Mill Road and in Eltersley Avenue. The name of her bakery is Sourdough Hub. And now details of free food available in and around Cambridge. And this information about what's available and where to get it comes from the Olio app. And that exists so that people's or businesses' surplus food doesn't go to waste. That's right. And today's look at Olio for Cambridge shows us that Natasha in Merton Street off Barton Road has three types of sourdough starter available, rye, spelt and white flour. So she says if you bring along a Ziploc bag or a jar, she can give you some along with instructions for feeding and using it. Whilst Elva, near Kettle's Yard, has some Waitrose Bakery French loaves and rolls, along with packs of fresh British leeks and three whole lettuces for anybody who wants them. And, uh, well, that's it, more or less. It's another quiet day on the earlier front, but as ever, do check the app during the weekdays when there's much more activity. Is that right? Okay. And, of course, don't forget the other free app, which is called Too Good To Go, and that has unsold food from restaurants and shops, and often at less than half price. But rather than specifying what each leftover item is the surplus food is simply packaged as a magic bag and it's ready for you to take home and again that's instead of it being binned at the end of the day's trading okay let's move on to our first news break now and we begin at the tickle arms in whittlesford where there's a special menu on the 29th of february showcasing game details full details are on their website On the 2nd of March at Flourish near Hildersham, there's an informal workshop on growing seedlings. You'll find out all about it, have a go, take home aspiring seedlings, as well as some special seeds from the Flourish Seed Room, and you can book at flourishfarmshop.co.uk. Also on the 2nd of March at the Food Museum in Stowmarket, there's a talk from Louise Gray, author of Avocado Anxiety, the Times Environment Book of the Year, and she has also written The Ethical Carnival. Books can be made on the Food Museum website now. 
It's the Cambridge Half Marathon on the 3rd of March and the Maypole will be open all day, so you can book a table now. Um, uh, just back to books for a minute. Rosie Sykes' new book, Every Last Bite, was published on Thursday, so it's in bookshops now. And the recipes are designed to save you time, money and to avoid food waste. And there are also lots of little tips in it, which come from Rosie's many years as a chef. If you missed her talking about the book on our last programme, you can catch it on podcasts now. On the 6th of March, there's a cheese tasting evening at Meadows in Mill Road on the corner with Ross Street. There'll be five cheeses, all made by women, and there'll be a discussion of the history of women in cheese. And a couple of tempting foods that have caught our eye, but which have not had the chance to try yet. Chocolate financier are new at the Cambridge Oven in Hills Road and Burnt Basque Cheesecake is at the Market Square Coffee and Cake, who are at the Market Square every Friday and Saturday. Also very interesting, but as yet untried by your flavour team, is a vegetable called an ochre or an ochre, O-C-A, which is one of the more unusual vegetables grown at Co Farm in Cambridge. And Culinaris sells produce from Co Farm, so I may pop in on my way home and see what they're like. Apparently, it's a potato-like vegetable, which can be eaten raw when it has a lemony zing, or cooked, which gives it a more nutty flavour. Finally in this must-try section, durian ices are appearing on the menu at Jack's Gelato. The notoriously smelly fruit has a less pungent Thai version, which Jack is using rather than the Malaysian. And that brings us to the end of our first news roundup. We'll have more later. Have ever, either of you tried any of those foods, by the way? I've tried durian and it's... Have you really? It's, it smells disgusting, but it tastes like toffee ice cream. It's How amazing. extraordinary. Oh, yeah, it's lovely. But it doesn't smell like toffee ice oh, cream. Oh, no. Bad, bad cheesy feet. <laughs> Oh, my goodness <laughs> Oh, me. yes. I wonder how it can be that it tastes so different from what it smells. It tastes gorgeous. It tastes gorgeous. It oh, really right. does. Oh, right, so we'll have to go to Jack's Gelato then. There was a place, Matt, a while ago, which I remember I think you featured, uh, was it a Chinese place in Regent Street that had durian ice cream? Possibly. Oh, uh, I th- are you referring to High Sweetie in Yes, Street? I am referring to High Sweetie. That was 2017. Yeah. Was it really? Right. <laughs> Ooh, okay, time well, flies. Jury anyway, <laughs> nice are back. But one thing I have tried this week, after seeing a picture of it on Instagram, is a beetroot and ginger latte. And that was at Pages in Trumpington. And Pages is a lovely, quite new cafe. And it's pretty small and it's very nicely decorated inside. And it has a surprisingly big terrace outside. And that is where I spoke with the owner, Jasmine Jayusi. Jasmine, you own Pages in Trumpington Street. And I've just had... Uh, a, a latte in there which was made from uh, beetroot and ginger mm. and it looked fantastic oh good I'm glad it's very like <laughs> vibrant pink colour isn't it yeah yeah. yeah. What's, what's the reaction to it been um, so when you see beetroot and ginger on the menu not everyone is taken by it because I think they think it might have a bit of a vegetable taste which isn't the case I, I mean you just tried it but once you add the other things the coconut sugar the milk you know your milk of choice oat or coconut or regular then it has a really great taste to it and most people once they have it do order it again so once you get over the fact that you know it's not your usual order then, you know, it's, it's become really popular. So yeah, I'm not surprised. Great. I thought it was fantastic. <laughs> and it looks good. And the latte art on the top of it was really very professionally <laughs> done. <laughs> yeah, so my baristas are really, really great. We opened in October, but as time's gone on, everyone's got incredibly good. Um, I don't know what latte art you had, but um, Sam, our head barista, he 
usually does a really beautiful swan. It was a swan. Was, I was yeah, looking at it and I was thinking, good. that's a swan and that's very fitting. Yeah, it's very good. <laughs> and um, yeah, so we kind of do themed runs as well. Like on Halloween, we did the pumpkin spice lattes and then we did pumpkin art and um, things like that. So yeah, it's um, great, play great attention <laughs> to detail. And you've got another couple of unusual lattes as mm, well. Yeah, so we have the them? matcha lattes. Um, and then we've got the turmeric lattes. It's kind of turmeric and cinnamon. It's quite uh -huh. heavy on the cinnamon. So yeah, they've been really, really popular. Yeah. Um, I think that also the colors of them are really beautiful, really vibrant colors, the green and the matcha, the yellow of the turmeric. Um, we've just uh, launched the chili hot chocolate as well. If, um, oh, that's, that's a, a nice different. combination yeah. as well. Um, oh, right, I'll have to come back. For yeah, that. Have yeah. To I wondered what when I when I had the 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 beetroot and ginger, I was wondering what to eat with it. Mm. I was wondering whether I should have something savoury or something sweet. And in fact, I had carrot cake. I on was the basis just about to say the they're carrot both, cake. They're both root vegetables. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> this, they, that it goes well. really. It does work really well. That is probably the one I would recommend. Some other people have the banana. Um, the banana loaf with it as well but yeah I think the assumption is that you'd go for a savoury but the drink's actually quite sweet yes so. well I thought mm. it probably would be mm -hmm. yeah well that's great and uh, I hope they do well have you got any yeah. other unusual ones coming on um, so obviously in the summer we'll start doing the ice all the iced options um, and I think you know continue each month to bring new things out yeah and um, we'll do we've got our new pour overs which we continue to change the beans on so yeah lots of new things coming great so <laughs> people just need to keep their eye on instagram yes that's yes where you... that's where everything will be posted yeah. Yeah, great well right thanks very much Jasmine. thank you thank so you. much hmm. sounds fantastic and what was the beetroot and ginger latte like yeah what was the cake like <laughs> that's a a very matched question. <laughs> <laughs> well, the latte really was very good. It looks a beautiful colour and it has a lovely warming ginger flavour to it. Uh, it was the perfect antidote to the cold, rainy weather outside. And, of course, being a latte, it has the feel of, of a coffee. It's rich and creamy, but this has no coffee in it and therefore no caffeine, so it's a drink you can have late in the day without your sleep being affected. I'd, I'd definitely have it again. And the cake was delicious. It really was very, very fresh with little shreds of carrot in it. Altogether an excellent experience. Pages has the full range of coffees too, as well as a wide range of cakes and it's worth going to. OK, well Cambridge is a remarkable place for food and drink and one of the best features is the number of small independent bakeries. Now one of them, Stir, makes superb bread, so much so that it wins a remarkable number of awards. And head baker Shandor Bagameri told Alan about the awards and why the bakery does so well. First, I'd like to mention the latest award, which is uh, we've been uh, awarded the 10 Best Artisan Bakery in the whole UK by the Artisan Collective's Baker Dozen. Uh, it's, it's truly amazing, uh, especially knowing that more than 100 uh, bakery specialists, including artisan bakers, suppliers, consultants, uh, have voted uh, their favorite bakeries. And uh, the judges say that uh, Stir uh, has been recognized by putting quality, uh, wholesome and healthy products uh, at the heart of every customer. One of our uh, gluten-free bread uh, have been awarded at the Britain's Best Loaf uh, competition, so it was a category winner as well. How important is technique and how important is the ingredients you use? 
The ingredients are very important. I would say the process is more important the quality than the quality of uh, the ingredients. Right, okay. <laughs> So what's special about the process that you use, do you think? Uh, we use more uh, traditional long fermentation process uh, to make our, our products. So it develops more flavour uh, compared to the supermarket so-called fast bread. Yes, the Chorley Wood process. They, they contain many additives, uh, sometimes over... 10 to 15 different ingredients. Uh-huh. However, our soda just made with flour, uh, water and salt. Our sourdough made over three days, so it's a three days process. And we don't use any any additives or processing aids in our product. Everybody has different process uh, and it's just practice and practice and practice. Yeah, and yeah. Probably that's uh, what makes uh, as apart from the competitors. Yeah. What got you started in baking? How did you begin? My grandparents had a wood-fired oven and uh, I stayed over the weekend and they always baked uh, some bread and cakes in the wood-fired oven. And the smell and the atmosphere was just amazing, especially winter time and probably that's how we started. <laughs> well, that's, that's fantastic. So how long have you worked at the Stir Bakery then? Exactly two years. I started two years ago. Are you being headhunted, given your success, or are people tr- offering you jobs? <laughs> yes. I'm um, well known uh, in the industry, I would say, which is really, really great. But uh, I'm really happy here. It's because the support for, from the owners is just incredible. And uh, not to mention my team, I just probably I have the most amazing team. Mm. And it, it took quite a long time to find the right people, but now we are just like a family. Yeah. <laughs> so just having fun, and they're all, all great. And the, the baking awards you've got, are, are they principally for the bread, or does it cover the other products as well, the cakes, for example, the croissants? The... Uh, until now, we had only chance to enter uh, the bread competitions. However, this year going to enter the national cake competition oh, as well, yeah. which will be held in Birmingham in a month's time. I'll look, I'll look out for the results, that's fantastic. R- roughly, how much bread do you bake a day? How many loaves? Four or five hundred sourdough a day. Oh. But again, it can be uh, more or less, but yeah. average. Four five hundred. We do uh, brioche buns, uh, very very popular. Oh. And your brioche buns won an award, didn't they? In twenty twenty two. Yeah, that's the other one. It's the World Bread Award. That was uh, the Tip Tree World Bread Awards. Yeah. Correct. It was a category winner uh, in the sweet uh, category. Yeah, that's a, that is an extraordinary number of awards. You must be very pleased. Very satisfied. Yes, I am, and could be better. So hopefully this year we'll end up with more trophies. Yeah, great, Okay. Anyway, many congratulations, Chandler. Thank you so much.
A truly impressive story. Um, what a nice way to become interested in baking. And I tried one of Stir's new loaves made with ancient grains, including spelt and einkorn, and it is very tasty and hugely different from the mass-produced loaves a lot of us were brought up on, and which a lot of people still eat. As Shandor said, some loaves sold by supermarkets have up to 12 ingredients, and all you need is flour, salt and water. You have to be suspicious of 12 ingredients. Well, indeed. And we're off for a two-minute break now, and then we'll be back with Life on Cambridge Market, some ideas for onions from Rosie Sykes, free food in Cambridge, and more up-to-the-minute food and drink news. Cambridge 105 Radio. Hello there, Glenn Jones here. I keep your company Sunday mornings from 10. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning, Glenn. Hello, good morning. Good morning, Glenn. Hello, lovely to speak to you. It's a relaxing start to your day with fantastic music and interesting people from across the city in South Cambridgeshire. The Tudor marketing machine was working overtime here. If I can do it, anybody can have a go. Time and time again, we are floored by the generosity of people in Cambridge. You can catch me Sunday mornings from 10 o'clock or anytime you fancy at cambridge105.co.uk. CKLG Accountants are a friendly team of accountants and tax advisors with big firm expertise. I'm Lawrence, Director of CKLG, responsible for business services. Throughout your lifetime, your personal and financial situation will change. Maybe you've just arrived in the UK to work or are looking to invest in property. Perhaps you're making plans for your retirement and are looking to reduce potential inheritance tax liabilities. CKLG Accountants ensure you receive bespoke tax advice tailored to you and your family's needs along the way. To find out more, call us on Cambridge 810100 to arrange an initial chat with one of our specialists or visit our website cklg.co.uk. CKLG Accountants, your partner in business, your partner in life. Radio. Welcome back to Flavour. Now for this next feature, we head to Cambridge Market to meet Laura. Hi, I'm Laura and this is the cheese stall and we're opposite Popeye's Chicken and uh, what used to be Gap on the front of the market every Friday and Saturday and extra days at Christmas. Laura started working 25 years ago with her dad at Cambridge Market on his stall. Yeah, my dad had the hemp store. The hemp store, selling lots of hemp products. Shampoos, handbags, very different to cheese. And I knew nothing about cheese when I started, so it's been a real education for me. I feel like a bit of an expert now. <laughs> Laura took over from David Fishman, who himself took over from original cheese stall owner Bob Wesley, who, according to their website, set up the stall in 1970 to sell real cheeses. Cheeses that were in danger of being lost because of the newfound novelty of mass-produced bland cheeses. Here's David. I always used to buy cheese from Bob, but I didn't know anything about it and I had the opportunity to join him and I did and I've never looked back, really enjoy it. I'd like to say Bob was a pioneer. He used to work for one of the Stilton makers as a cheesemaker when all you could get was basically Dutch cheese, English cheese, cheddar and a bit of brie and the brie is like the brie you get now from very bad places, which has a line of chalk in the middle of it because they've cut it before it's ripe. He introduced me to selling proper artisan cheeses, and I've carried it on. So, Bob started the cheese stall in 1970, David took over in 1998, and Laura is the new boss of the cheese stall, bringing all of her market experience with her. 
I was Saturday girl when I was 15. I've also helped out on the veg stall next door. We used to joke about getting me a pair of roller skates so I could just go up and down and work all stalls. <laughs> the hours were great, it was my dad, and yeah, met David through doing that. So yeah, it takes all sorts to work down here, basically. I try and be jolly and friendly. And actually, David has come back and helped me out a couple of times at Christmas and stuff. And um, we've joked, I've never seen him so enthusiastic and helpful. So he's now the enthusiastic sales girl and I'm gradually turning into the grumpy proprietor. <laughs> That's nice that he comes back, so he's still, he's still fully invested in it. Oh, absolutely. We said it's going to be like Frank Sinatra's final tour, you know. He, he will keep making an appearance <laughs> when he runs out of cheese. <laughs> Is there any particular cheese that you'd like to champion here today? Well, actually, I had this conversation with the customer earlier about red cheeses, because we do a lovely cheese called Hereford Red, and it's gorgeous. It's a bit like Leicester, but it's Jersey milk, so it's creamier. And people are very put off by red cheeses, and I understand, because supermarket Leicester has given all red cheeses a bad name. But, yeah, I would encourage people to try the lovely farm-made red cheeses. Don't be put off by the red. There's some really good ones. When I was here last time, the Sage Derby was in short supply, but it was popular and it was really good cheese. Yeah. yeah. I managed to find some of that. We had it again this Christmas and people were so excited to see it back. But yeah, it's getting the amounts right. Is The hard stuff is not so much of a worry, but um, the soft stuff has more of a shelf life. So that you've got to be careful with. And again, like I said, I like it when it's cold because when it's cold, I bring in everything I can fit in the van and then I know I've got plenty. But in the summer, you just want to bring a little bit of everything, try and keep everything cold as possible. You told me what your favorite cheese was? Well, the Hereford Rage that I was saying about before, the Grand Reserve Comte that we do, I just want to let people know that I test it several times a day because I have to make sure it's in perfect condition when I sell it to you. <laughs> Why is that? What happens through the day that makes it change? You never know. Anything could have happened to it, so I need to keep tasting it to make sure. <laughs> Can you go home and still enjoy cheese in your own time? Oh, absolutely. And I, um, my children get a bit sick of it. You know, Mum, can you cook anything that doesn't have cheese in it? But and actually, well, my son is very into cooking now. And he wasn't overly impressed that I took over the cheese stall last year until he realised we had the Lancashire Tasty Bomb on tap now. And now he's suddenly really impressed that Mum has the cheese stall. <laughs> And when David did go over to France, the cheesemakers he bought from would request that he bought those over, which we always think that's a huge compliment from a French cheesemaker. They're yeah, very, very good. I thought the quietest time of year for a cheese stall might be January, February time, straight after Christmas. Actually, no. I mean, we, we have a bit of a lull in January. We tend to have a couple of weeks off because we figure everyone's overbought at Christmas. They've all gone on a diet for New Year's and then by the end of January, they've forgotten about it. But we're pretty steady throughout the cold months. I think cheese is a comfort food. You know, people enjoy having some cheese and red wine at home. It's a, I'd say our quiet time is more the summer. We still do business, but it's more tourists that don't have a fridge, so they're buying a little bit of brie to take on a picnic and things like that. So it's always fun working on the store. You're always learning things. You're always... Yeah. Recipe recommendations. You know, people say, oh, I'm taking this gorgonzola home and I'm going to put it with these herbs and add it to pasta, and you think, oh, that sounds good. I'll, I'll try that when I get home. 
and lots of cheesy jokes as well you hear several times a day. Any particular examples? So anything with a pun on camembert, a camembert it, things like that. Nacho cheese, it's not your cheese. And yeah, like I said, I hear them several times a day. They kind of go in one ear and out the other. <laughs> How do you consider your own knowledge of cheese nowadays? Really good, but totally by accident, just completely fell into it. And, um, but it's an easy thing to get passionate about. There's a, a lot to know about it. I've gone to dinner parties with a friend before and I've been at a table with all these academics and professors and I feel a bit out of my depth because, you know, hello, I'm from the market. But I bring out my cheese board and I start telling them all about the Grand Reserve Comte and they all think I'm fabulous. <laughs> Any memorable customers? Well, you, you meet some fascinating people here, you know, all sorts of professors and politicians and you get to... David used to love talking politics with various politicians we had come on here. And then you get, yeah, like you say, as a lovely lady, she used to come every Friday evening and tidy up for me. She never ordered a specific piece of cheese. She'd just see whatever little bit was lying around and then she'd take that home. So, yeah, she was brilliant. We've got theatres, like, dotted all around us. So do you see actors coming through? We do, and I very rarely register until afterwards. We had Felicity Kendall, and I had no idea. And another one was, oh, is it Alistair McGowan that does the impressions? Yeah. And it was only after he left and they laughed at me and I said, well, but he was being himself. He wasn't doing an impression of anybody, so I didn't realise it was him. I mean, we had Debbie Harry on the stall once years ago. I'd, I'd love to have seen that. <laughs> what are your, like, your bread and butter cheeses, the perennial sellers? Definitely Hereford Hop. It tastes a bit like a cheddar, but it's made with Jersey milk, it's covered in toasted hops, and it's our best-selling cheese that you've never heard of. You know, people will come back. I bought a cheese off you six months ago. It was really nice. And off of that, I normally guess, was it Hereford Hop? And it was. And then the standards as well, it's Stilton. I mean, at Christmas, we go through more Stilton than you could ever imagine. Even the cheddars, I think, you think old cheddar's a bit boring, but a proper good farmhouse cheddar is, yeah, you can't beat it. So even having a cheddar on the stall, is, uh, it's worth its space on the, on the stall? Absolutely. I mean, we have several sometimes, yeah, several different ones. Oh, we've got one called Montan de Bethmal. It's a lovely Pyrenees goat cheese and it's turned out to be one of our best sellers. It's got a lovely texture. It's kind of springy, not too goaty. I'm not always keen on really strong goat's cheese and, yeah, I really enjoy that one. And also, if it's a natural food and it's small production. There are times of the year when it's better, there's times of the year when the milk's different. In the summer the milk's going to have more fat in it than in the winter. It doesn't make it better or worse. If you buy from a multiple then their whole remit is to make everything taste the same. So if you buy it in their posh store in Cambridge you've got to go into their one in Edinburgh and it's got to taste exactly the same as it does in Yeovil. So it becomes homogenised, it's not individual. So my theory is you can buy a bottle of wine and pay a lot of money from it from a, a supermarket, it's going to be good, but if you went to a specialist wine merchant, you're getting something that that guy has tasted, you're using his palate, and you're getting something for the same price that is going to be different, and it's the same with the cheese. Yeah, so, yeah, I'm sorry if I go on a bit, but I, I do feel strongly about this.
I knew nothing about cheese when I started working here. I worked for my dad on another stall. David was forever wandering off and I'd come and unofficially help his customers. So he said, let's make it official. And it's just a lovely atmosphere. I, I think after working here for so long, I couldn't imagine sitting in an office and, you know, being that restricted. Hard, but good. Lovely. Thanks very much, Laura. No, no worries. It's nice talking to you. And you're listening to Flavour on Cambridge 105 Radio. Many thanks to Laura of the Cheese Stall, and you can find them every Friday and Saturday on Cambridge Market. Yes, Cambridge City Council is doing a lot of advertising at the moment of positions on Cambridge Market, you know, stalls that can be booked. So it's interesting to hear Mm. a bit about life on the market. Fits well. Anyway, on to our second news roundup. The foraging chef has announced the dates of his forthcoming wild food tours. You meet in the Panton Arms and then go foraging around the Newnham area between 11 in the morning and 3pm. The dates are the 17th of March, the 24th of March, the 14th of April and the 28th of April and the cost is £50. And Sue, you say it's well worth it. Well worth it, absolutely so, yeah. I must go. You must go, indeed you must. (laughs) And then coming soon and aiming at a round opening in Easter, the Norstow Taproom and Social. This sounds really good. There'll be a bar, a cafe, a bakery and a gym. It's a big deal, this. It'll be open seven days a week and Steak and Honour will be there every day except Monday and Tuesday, serving up burgers and also Dot's Hot Chicken. They will have on-fire barbecue van there too, smoking meats for lunchtime subs and doing cheeseburgers and chilli cheese for the evenings to go with a beer. Alex from the Bagel Box has bagel-making classes. These are on the 31st of March, April 21st, May 26th and June 30th at Market House in the Market Square. There's morning and evening sessions available, The morning session is £90 per person and the evening one is £100 per person. And you can book a session for a party or a work function too. Just contact Alex via his Bagel Box website. Uh, Cambridge Cookery School has a perfect pastry class on the 7th of March and an Indian Curries Masterclass on the 14th of March. And coming up at the White Cottage Bakery in Kingston, there's a sourdough workshop. That's on the 8th of March. Hot Cross Buns on the 27th of March. An introduction to artisan bread making on the 21st of March. And there's the twice yearly baking retreat in Tuscany. The first one of those is from the 4th to the 10th of April. All details for all of these can be found on the White Cottage Bakery website. Time for some wine news. New tasting dates at Amphora have been announced. There's Syrah or Shiraz on February the 28th, Greek wines on the 6th of March, Sherry on the 13th of March, Bordeaux versus Bordeaux blends on the 20th of March, and With Age Comes, a comparison of young and old wines on the 27th of March, and all the tastings cost £38 and begin at 8pm. And there are tastings at the wine rooms in Hills Road on February the 29th, Pinot Noir from around the world, 14th of March, Rioja and Riviera del Duero, 21st of March, Cabernet Sauvignon from around the world, 18th of April, Bordeaux and southwest France, and on the 16th of May, Tuscany and central Italy. Tickets are £30 and the tastings run from 7 till 8.30pm. And that's the end of, uh, of the news roundup. 
And on to now Rosie Sykes. And Rosie has a new book out, Every Last Bite. It was published on Thursday, so it will be in local bookshops now. And a reminder that you can hear Rosie talking about it in our last podcast. But ever busy, Rosie joins us today with some ideas for cooking onions. So onions are the base of most things, aren't they? I mean, a lot of things, savoury food is based around onions. And I always feel very sad for people who, for dietary reasons, can't eat onions because they're just there. There's something that make our food sweet and rich without us even realising. Um, so I think we should pay homage to the onion for sure. Um, one of my favourite things to do with onions, well, two things actually. One is if I've got the oven on, Again, I often put a tray of unpeeled, about eight or ten onions in the oven, unpeeled, and bake them slowly, just like that. They don't need seasoning, they don't need anything really. Leave them to get completely soft, and then you can just pop them out of their coats, and you've got basically the same as you would have if you slow-cooked onions in a pan. Uh, The only difference being you, you need to chop them up at that stage. Um, but you have this sweet, unctuous wonderfulness that is the base you can use as a base for a soup or a stew, or you could use if you wanted to make a, a tortilla or a quiche. Um, it's just a really handy way of, again, using your oven when it's on and not having to worry about, you know, if you're cooking onions in a pan on the stove, you have to keep going and stirring and, and worrying about them. Um, that they're going to brown or they're sticking. Um, And from that, one of my favourite things to make, um, which is really delicious with um, roast, is classically served with roast lamb, actually. It's called sauce soubise, and it's a French sauce, uh, but it's basically a white sauce with an onion puree through it. And it was named after an 18th century general who was a favourite of Louis XV. but that um, very sweet onion um, in, a be- in a sort of creamy bechamel that's got bay and flavoured with bay and maybe a bit of nutmeg is, is a really delicious. It's almost like bread sauce flavours. Um, so, again, it's really nice with the roast chicken. It's just a lovely thing, which I would highly recommend. Another thing I love doing is stuffing an onion. So in that case, what I would do is peel them but keep their base not keep the really hairy base, but keep a bit of base on them so they really stay together. And then I put them in a tray nice and closely packed with some olive oil or oil or butter, salt and pepper, and some water just to cover the bottom, maybe a tiny bit of vinegar. And sometimes if I've got it knocking around, I put a little bit of apple juice or something slightly sweet in there. Um, Then I cover it with foil and cook them quite slowly until they're very soft let them get cool. Um, And then what you can do is sort of pull out the middles of them and chop those up and mix them with breadcrumbs, sausage meat, all sorts of things. Um, And then put them back in lots of flavorings. I always use a lot of thyme and sage and, but you know, you could go really spicy. You can go always with that. Put the stuffing back in that space that you've removed from the middle of each one. And then I often put a few more breadcrumbs on top and dot with some butter or or drizzle with oil, put back in the oven with no cover on, 
and then the rest of any liquid mostly will evaporate um, and your filling will cook. Probably if you're using sausage meat or, or mince or something, you're going to need half an hour or so. But any, you know, extra liquor in the bottom makes a nice sauce. But that's a really lovely meal, I think. Um, and quick, I mean, it, it takes some time in the oven, but again, it's a walk away job. You don't have to think about it. Sounds delicious. That was Rosie Sykes there with ideas for onions, and we hope to have Rosie back next time with some ideas for cooking leeks. There's the familiar music signalling time for news from social media. Uh, yes, Meadows have been on to say that Farage's Kitchen Supper Club is going to be at Meadows on the 8th of March in the evening, and that's for authentic Syrian cooking. It runs from 7 till 9pm, and there's very limited spaces. Mercado Central has a new menu starting next week, including guinea fowl with pomegranate and hazelnuts, which sounds extraordinarily interesting. And from next week, they're open from Wednesdays till Saturdays for f- set lunch, £24 for two courses and £29 for three, which is pretty reasonable, I think. Hidden by Poudini, they have a supper club on the 1st of March. Bookings are being taken now. And the lab in Regent Street has a new series of cocktail-making workshops for which beginners are particularly welcome. And tickets or bookings are available shortly. Just watch their Instagram posts for more information about that. Well, we've got a couple of minutes spare today, which is quite unusual. And we have a couple of newspapers with us as well, the the food sections from The Guardian and from The Financial Times. Anything in there that strikes you as interesting, Sue? Well, I was looking at this... um aubergine cuckoo, a classic retested, which, I mean, okay, maybe a classic but I haven't heard of it. Cuckoo. Cuckoo. K-U-K-U. I see, it's not a sort of posh pronunciation of couscous. No, 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 no. <laughs> it's, it, it says it's it's similar to frittata, but wetter in texture, and it's Iranian with barberries in it, but you could use cranberries or currants soaked in lemon juice, and it, it sounds yes, absolutely actually, gorgeous. I've got some barberries. They're not that difficult to get a hold of. Ah. And I've... they do taste sort of slightly lemony currants, that's true. Oh, so I interesting. Think lemon, yeah. Oh, I fancy that, and I love aubergines. So I, I think, because I love frittata, this sounds really, really right. is interesting. That, is that, whose recipe is that? Is that an Ottolenghi one? Yes, indeed it is. Right. Yep, of course it's Ottolenghi, I love yeah. Ottolenghi. <laughs> Anything else? Grab your eyes. Ooh. They've just uh, some very nice recipes, some uh, leek recipe there. And, oh, Ravinda Bagal has got some very interesting different ways of cooking with mints. Chicken mm. mints and normal mincy mints and uh, yeah some very interesting ones there crisp pork mints rice paper rolls i've got some rice papers so oh, right. well, i just I need to go get the <laughs> need to go get the pork mints ravinda begal is also strangely enough in the financial times with fish and fennel meatball spaghetti Yes, Interesting. I don't think it's got any meat in it. I don't really know why it's called meatball. It's called okay, fishball. Fishball fish is ball. what it should be. <laughs> what it should be called. Mm. I don't know if you noticed, but last weekend in the Financial Times food section, Tim Haywood reviewed a restaurant in Nottingham, and the day after in the Observer, Jay Rayner reviewed the same restaurant. 
Mm. I mean, it does happen, (laughs) but you do wonder about it. But then, I think it was Tim who explained what happened. They were both in Nottingham to do a recording of the kitchen cabinet, and they thought, while we're here, let's get a restaurant review done. And they both, by chance, went to the the same restaurant. And Jay Rayner got there first, and I think it was already eating when Tim wandered in. And Tim said, well, if you're here first, then I'll pull out, I'll find somewhere else. And Jay Rayner said that he thought there was very little crossover in readership between the Financial Times and the Observer, so I'm sure he thought it wouldn't Ooh, matter. It was allowed, it was allowed. <laughs> if they both... But it has happened before, actually. Anyway, I, I have both of these reviews, and I'm going to read them and just to ah. compare. But I've been too busy coughing this week oh dear, to, uh, nice. to settle Not down nice. and, and read nice. anything. But I remember a while ago, Grace Dent reviewed something, and Tim Hayward reviewed the same place. It was, hmm. it was interesting. Tim's was much more praising. Oh, fair enough. <laughs> There's Green Onions taking us into our jobs section and Burwash Larder in Barton is looking for people to work for two to three weekdays a week plus three weekend shifts a month. Just send your CV to info at burwashlarder.com. Restaurant 22 has a front of house position. For information, email alex at restaurant22.co.uk. And a quick roundup of other jobs now. For details, contact them via their websites or pop in at a quiet time for a chat. Firstly, Pint Shop has vacancies for chefs at all levels, including senior sous chef for between thirty-eight and £48,000 a year. Parker's Tavern at the University Arms Hotel is looking for an executive chef. There are vacancies for a pizza chef at Aromi and at Maurizio. Aromi also has a vacancy for a pasta chef and a grill chef is wanted at Byron's. Sous chefs are required at Caluccio's and the Waterman. A junior sous chef is sought by Pembroke College. And finally, there are vacancies for chefs de partie at the Varsity Hotel, Hotel Duvan, Provenance Kitchen and Midsummer House. All of which brings us to the end of today's programme. We're here on alternate Saturdays, 12 noon, repeated Mondays at 6, Thursdays at 2. Coming up next on Cambridge 105 Radio is Too Good To Be Forgotten, followed by Home at 4pm. But that's all from us today. Very much, very many thanks for listening. We'll be back on the 9th of March. So until then, goodbye. goodbye.